Galatians chapter 5. If you'll turn there or click there in your Bibles, and we can rest in the Word. Lord, I thank you that you are with us in spite of what's happening in the world around us. These are unsettling times. God, would you, in your power and wisdom and ability, help our leaders in our land. If it's, Lord, you can do this. Help our leaders in our land to make wise, have the right information and make wise choices. Seems like so much is just on edge around the world and, and here as well. But thank you, God, that we can rest in you. And you can give wisdom, and you will give wisdom to us as a body of believers and to each individual family about being prudent and wise. And Lord, may we see, even as we've sung and spoken of already, that we have an opportunity in this day of darkness and such evil to be able to express the hope we have in Christ because of, of how you're working within us, the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit, and give us an opportunity to share Jesus Christ. Thank you for this time we have in your word. Would you settle my heart? Would you take over? Would you... Bless the preaching of your word. Empower it now. May I get out of the way. May you take over. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So on Thursday morning, around 11 or 11.30 or so, this last week, uh, my granddaughter and I had an opportunity to visit Edie. And that was so much fun. We were able to uh, go to our house, sit down, and talk for a little while. And that's a real highlight for me. And it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun for all of us. And then after that, uh, uh, Juby and I, we, we stopped at the, the car wash and washed the car. You know that one where, where it, it spins and, and you're sitting in the car and all this action? That's exciting. That's, that's like a roller coaster ride, you know, and that's a lot of fun. And then after that, uh, we decided that, you know, it'd be a really good idea to, to go get a snack at High V. And so, um, and I was thinking ice cream, right? That's what you got to do. So I was thinking maybe a pack of of ice cream bars, and, and you agree with me? That would be a good snack. And so we're making our way back to the ice cream aisle there at Hy-Vee, and when Juby said, Papa, she stopped me. She said, Papa, I want that. And she pointed to this display, this package of fruit snacks. And I thought, are you sure? You're going to take fruit snacks over ice cream so I asked her Juby are you sure do you do you really want this do you want ice cream or or fruit snack <laughs> and she said I want this fruit snack and she's been enjoying that and I thought you know there's wisdom there in those those little thoughts you know, I ought to be desiring the fruit fruit is good and I couldn't help noticing as, as we went through Hy-Vee, in fact, when you first walk in, we, we stopped and looked at this, when we first walked in, you can't help but see all the fruit that's on display. Boy, they do that well. Pineapples and juicy oranges and grapes and, and uh, grapefruit. Now, is that a fruit? Uh, I think they have that in there as well, and, and oranges and apples and all these, all these wonderful tasting, juicy, delicious fruits that God has blessed us with. What a feast of flavors. Now imagine with me, if you will, all of those mixed into one. Juby's fruit snack had two. She had 
apples, and mango. But imagine all of these mixed together in one with just the perfect balance, the taste that that would be. Would you desire that? Yes. I should want that. God is able to make a combination of these fruits in such a way they're all equally present. And when God is doing this, it's delicious. And I should want that. This fruit of the Spirit. We've been working through the book of Galatians verse by verse, and yes, even word by word. And we're going to try to cover three words today, believe it or not. I think. I hope we can go that far. We'll go as far as we can. But we've seen how we have to get the gospel right at the beginning of the book. And because of this gospel of of Jesus Christ completely in Him, we're able to have a relationship. And that's the middle of the book. We're not slaves to sin. We, We are sons of God. And we have this relationship by faith in Jesus Christ. Just like Adam, just like Abraham, we have faith in Jesus Christ to accomplish these things, this relationship. We're sons of God. And because of that, we have this freedom. And it's enabling the Holy Spirit, to work within us what we cannot do. And we can walk by the Spirit. That's the chapter we're in here in Galatians chapter 5. And we come to verse 22. This fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience. And we walked very slowly through those words over the last several weeks because they're packed with so much content. This is the inner working of the Holy Spirit. Love. It's not so much something that you can put on display, but it's something that's there. This joy that's from within. This peace. Confidence that God is in control of my relationships and my life. It's going to be okay. And this, as Pastor Matt expressed last week, this patience, this long-suffering, this ability to see the big picture that helps us endure and have hope. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It's an inner working within our soul. Then there are the outer workings of the Holy Spirit, showing in kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I want us to see that when all of these are together, there's nothing that can stop the power of God working through these. There's no law that can stop them. So would you join with me in meditating on this reality of the work of the Holy Spirit? And when the Holy Spirit is doing this, it's not something that we're working up. I have to work on more patience or I have to work on more kindness. Yes, we obey the Spirit, but it's something that God is working within us that is powerful. And how the Spirit of, produce, the Spirit of God produces these things in us. That's what we want to focus on. How is the Holy Spirit doing this? Would you meditate with me on this? Join me. The fruit of the Spirit is kindness. The Spirit produces the desirable fruit, the tasty fruit of kindness. Now, what does this kindness look like? God's kindness. What does this look like? Would you keep your place there in Galatians and probably just a page or two over in your Bible, right there in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, we read, But God, being rich in mercy, because, that because is important, because of the great love with which He loved us, 
even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, this union with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places, this relationship with God that is now and forever. And we are in Christ Jesus. And again, note this, so that... In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches, this huge pile of his grace. And how is he going to do this? In kindness, crestitos, this kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Kindness that is spoken of here in Ephesians and as well in Galatians as this fruit of the Spirit. This kindness is involving an other's first mindset. Jesus Christ wasn't thinking of himself. He was thinking of others. Others, Lord, let, let this my motto be. Others. This mindset that unselfishly prompts responsiveness to a need. That's our definition for kindness. An other-first mindset, an others-first mindset that unselfishly is prompting, the Holy Spirit prompting, I see a need, I want to do something about that. To be kind is to be responsive to the needs of others. Have you ever had a friend just drop what they were doing to help you? That's what this is. As I look around this room, there are a number of you in our congregation that you've done that for me. Thank you. That motivates. <laughs> Someone this week, so I think it was on Wednesday, was plowing away on this sermon, trying to think through how to communicate this and understanding it. And, and I was kind of dragging a Wednesday afternoon, you know, uh, I don't know about this. I don't want to be studying. I'm tired. Isn't there something else I can be doing? I had a need. And somebody, out of their clear blue, showed up with coffee. And not just coffee. It was coffee with oat milk. For me. And I, I, that, that changed my whole afternoon. Somebody did something for me without expecting anything in return. The problem is we're, we're not like this. Why don't we show kindness? What's our hang-up? I know for me, I know what the problem is. It's P-R-I-D-E. Isn't it interesting that pride, middle letter, is I? <laughs> P-R-I-D-E. It's all about me. We don't show kindness because we have this me-first mentality. My daughter and her husband have four boys. And until just recently, they had one bathroom in their house. And she describes the race for the bathroom. If somebody says, oh, I'm going to the bathroom, no, me first. And there's this race to get there first. Yeah, you understand what I'm talking about. And all the tension and angst that comes about who gets there first. We've all wanted to be first in line. That's our sin nature. That's our problem. And then sometimes we, we will do things for others just out of, okay, if, you do, if I do this for you, then certainly you'll do something for me, right? 
But this kindness does things without expecting anything in return. Luke 6, verse 35. But love your enemies. Those that you know are not going to do you good. Love your enemies and do good. And lend, expecting nothing in return. Even when we're kind, often we do things out of selfishness, thinking we'll get something back. A Yale University president some years ago gave this advice to a president, a new president at uh, Ohio State. He said, always be kind to your A and B students. Someday one of them will return to your campus as a good professor. And he said, he didn't stop there. And also be kind to your C students. <laughs> Someday one of them will return and build you a $2 million science laboratory. The idea was... There's something later. So if this is not our nature, if in our sin nature we are not kind or we're manipulative and we're, we're thinking, so what are you going to do for me if I'm kind to you? Where is this going to come from? And what we're wanting to emphasize in this fruit of the Spirit, He is the source. This fruit of the Spirit does enable this kindness. And so how does that happen? How does the Spirit enable kindness within us? Well, you think again about the gospel. We just read of it here in Ephesians chapter 2. That Christ in His grace to us, this immeasurable riches of His grace showing in His kindness. He, without expecting anything in return, gave to meet, to meet the need, the greatest need that we have of salvation. And in that, He's giving us the opportunity to participate in His love and His joy and His peace and to understand this patience, the long view of life and endurance, knowing that there's more. He gives that to us. And the Spirit is causing this with, within us so that we're thinking more about that than we are thinking about ourselves. And so the Spirit works within us a different outlook. God has been kind to me. There's an amen there. God has been kind to me. And then the Holy Spirit then prompts out of that gratefulness, here's an opportunity to be kind to somebody else. And when that prompting is there, you know that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Because that's not coming from you. You don't have that in you. But when that's prompted in you, that's the Holy Spirit saying, here's an opportunity. Do something without expecting anything in return. Meet a need. And out of that motivation of love, without expecting anything in return, you can respond with kindness. And let me just say it this way. The hardest place to do this is at home. The hardest people to be kind to are within your house. That's where the rubber meets the road. And dad is doing the elbow to his son right now. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we're all, aren't we that way? Sometimes it's not saying what you think needs to be said. Sometimes it's doing what you don't think you should have to do. Sometimes it's just 
holding the other person. Be kind. The Spirit enables this delicious, this desirable fruit of goodness. Goodness. Again, what does this goodness look like? I was looking through the Scriptures, thinking about this. It's all over the place. God's goodness. But one that jumped off the page at me was Isaiah chapter 63, verse 7. There's so much packed into this one verse. And again, we're looking at other verses, trying to comprehend this word in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, speaking of what the Holy Spirit is producing within us that we cannot produce ourselves. Isaiah 63, verse 7, we read, I will recount. Okay, so I'm going to count, and then I'm going to recount, and then I'm going to recount. I keep on doing this. I'm going to recount the steadfast love, this hesed, this loyal love of God, of the Lord, the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has granted us and this great goodness to the house of Israel that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Isaiah 63, verse 7. Psalm 25, verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, because that's the way God is, he instructs us. He instructs us sinners in his way. He shows us the truth. God has done that for you. Psalm 34, verse 8. This is a good one to have memorized. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. When you see that the Lord, you taste, mm, this is good. The Lord is good. So Galatians 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is goodness. Goodness is a unique word in this language, that doesn't show up anywhere else in secular Greek language. So it's something that is uniquely Christian in thought and concept. And it's emphasizing integrity, genuineness, what it means to be real. It's being the same person in every situation, at home, on the job, at church. You're not a hypocrite. You're not phony. It's Knowing that God sees you, and so because you love the Lord, you want to please Him. It wants to please the Lord. Whether at home or away, 2 Corinthians 5, 5, 9. Whether at home or away, we make it our aim to please Jesus. That, that's because because that's, that's what's real. That's what's from the heart. It's un, uniquely genuine. It's the real deal. How would you describe goodness? People try to do that. If you are uh, going to Kentucky Fried, Chi- Kentucky Fried Chicken, it's, I, do they still say this? Finger licking good, all right? There's a taste to it that everybody knows that's good. That's their definition of goodness. Or if you're, Opening that can of Campbell's chicken soup, it's mm mm good. Again, they've got a concept. So how would you how would you describe this goodness of God that's genuine and real? For God, it's uh, pleasing. God created the stars and the sea and the animals and one after another. The land, the waters, and with each one he said, that's good. Created man, 
Uh, created the woman. That's very good. He finally got it right. There aren't any amens to that one. <laughs> it's pleasing. It's fulfilling. It's satisfying. This is good. But there's also an element here of purity. Goodness is pure. So when you're thinking of this word and this language in this place in your Bible, you're thinking of all of creation and you're thinking of God who is absolutely pure. You're thinking of goodness. You're thinking of God who is pleasing and totally pure. Ephesians 5, 9. For the fruit of, of light... God's expression of Himself to us is found in all that is good and right and true. We'll get to that here in a moment as well. Goodness, then, is this quality of moral integrity that commits to doing the right thing because it pleases the Lord. It's commitment to doing the right thing because it pleases the Lord. And that is the purity of God's truth. Now, why don't we do this goodness? <laughs> What's our hang-up? Well, our sin nature is our hang-up. And we tolerate dirt. We tolerate corruption. We tolerate filth within. Let me remind you, let me remind you, God sees the heart. He sees mine. And Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's when God is real to you. But we rewrite that. Blessed are the dirty, for they don't need God not true and I'm troubled that in Christianity in our circles of what it means to be followers of Christ most professing Christians are far more like the dirt than they are the purity of the Lord we're far from good so how is it the Holy Spirit then is going to produce this goodness in us well again you focus on Christ who is good he is pure and the Holy Spirit then takes that testimony of Christ who is pure and right and just. And He convicts us of our sin and of our righteousness and of our judgment. So God the Holy Spirit works within something God put in you on purpose and you need to see it as a gift of value. And that's called your conscience. That prompting, that, that snapping of the fingers, that, hey buddy, you've got a conscience. And the Holy Spirit will use that to help you look to Jesus and realize, you know, everyone else may be doing that, but this is who Jesus is. And that's, would you look to Jesus? The Holy Spirit prompts us, as we read in 1 Timothy 5.22, keep yourself pure. Flee youthful lust. Keep yourself pure. Just like Daniel, having to live in a very dirty place, he determined that he would not defile himself with what was in the world around him, the king's meat. Or like Joseph, who ran, knowing, how can I do this, wick, wick, this great wickedness and sin in the sight of God? There's this prompting of the Spirit for purity within your soul. What you look at, what you say, the Holy Spirit will be working this thing that's pleasing to God, that's pure before God. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And when you see that happening, you realize 
That's not just my idea. That's the Holy Spirit working within my heart. I need to respond to that and be quick to confess and get back to that place of purity if we confess our sin. That anger, that rudeness, that frustration, that what you watch on your computer or on the TV, or you're thinking, no, God, I want, I want to please you. That's good. That's good. By the cleansing power of the Word and the sanctifying influence of the Holy Spirit, making much of Christ, it is possible for the Christian to remain clean in a dirty place. And our world is dirty. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Beloved, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness or purity to completion in the fear of God. Thou God seest me. Let the Holy Spirit do that good work in you. Let the Holy Spirit prompt you to want to please Jesus, even when no one else is watching. That is the fruit of the Spirit. And that will be there if you're walking in the Spirit. This kindness and this goodness and this faithfulness. We'll get as far as we can with this this week, and then I want to come back to it again next week. But this matter of faithfulness. The Spirit empowers this desirable fruit of faithfulness. Faithfulness? Faith? Yes. If we have faith in God, which is to be true in our heart to God, we will respond with faithfulness. We'll be true in life. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God is what? Faithful. There's no temptation taken you, but such as it's common to man. But, say it with me, God is faithful. That's all throughout the Scriptures. We have a faithful God. We addressed that last week in Lamentations 3. Great is thy faithfulness. This is his character. And when we understand God's faithfulness, we understand 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2. It is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Now, what does this look like, this faithfulness? Again, you'll find more than 60 references in in your scriptures about the faithfulness of God. Psalm 145, verse 13. The Lord is faithful to all His promises. Amen? He keeps His word. Think of that. The Lord is faithful to everything He's ever promised you. And you start stacking up those promises in Scriptures. They're profound. Have you ever made a list of God's promises to you? God is faithful to that. Faithfulness means honesty, transparent honesty, nothing to hide honesty. In fact, this morning before church, we had a meeting with several other guys just together to fellowship and pray and talk, remind each other and stir each other up. Precious time. And one of the guys brought up that in 1 John, there's this word true. And there are a couple of different words that are true in the Bible. There's uh, aletheia. And then there's also a word that's translated true in 1 John and 2 John. 
that right here in Galatians chapter 5 is translated faithful. Pistis is the word. You keep your word. You're totally honest. You don't lie. You, you don't exaggerate. You don't distort. You, you don't create a false impression in order to be able to get your point across by saying, staying silent. You tell the truth. You're honest in the little things. John MacArthur had a quotation about this very word. This is essential. It is essential as a virtue in a spirit-filled life that you speak the truth, that you are true to your word, true to your promise. This is basic integrity. A spirit-filled believer speaks the truth, lives the truth, can be trusted, is honest, steadfast, unwavering in loyalty to that which is true and right and good. It's honest. Nothing to hide honesty. Is that you? And faithfulness also means dependability. We know God is faithful. We know Jesus Christ is dependable. He is, in fact, He is faithful and true. That's His name on the throne. He is faithful and true. You can count on Him coming through with what He is going to accomplish as Lord of Lords, King of Kings. Dependable. Lori's dad is one of my heroes. He's uh, 86 now, something like that. And on, on a regular basis, he will come. He's still driving, still alert, still write, reading, and still holding Bible studies. And, and one thing you can count on it is he's faithful at church. He's dependable. He's going to be there. And so he'll drive here on a Friday afternoon or you know late morning and get here in time for you know lunch whatever and then he'll stick around for supper and Saturday morning he'll get up and there'll be breakfast he'll stick around for that then he's got to head back home and we think you know if you're gonna if you're gonna have the sheets in a bed one night you might as well stay three or four nights right please but he'll he'll go right back and here's his reason. I've got to get back for church. I've got to get back for church. My church. Not just any church. My church. I've got to get back to church. It's either that or he doesn't want to hear me preach. But he has to go back. And he's, and he, and he's, and he's there. That's dependability. That's what this faithfulness is. And that, that's not something that he's produced. But over years... That's something that the Holy Spirit has produced. A desire within the soul. I've got, I've, I have to be there. That's my church. So faithfulness is loyal reliability that is true to its word. I want you to think of faithfulness that way. Loyal reliability that is true to its word. You can count on it. A lot of times we don't display faithfulness. We hear our children say, but dad, you said, and we didn't keep our word. We make up excuses. We rationalize. I've been so convicted 
repeatedly recently over those little excuses, little dishonesties, because I want to protect my reputation, or I fear not getting what I want. Be transparent, be truthful, be dependable. I'm not that way. In my sin nature, I'm not built that way. But the Holy Spirit prompts that. And when the Holy Spirit's prompting that, I can say, okay, Lord, I'll do what you're telling me to do. The Spirit reminds us that Christ is faithful. He's true to His Word. He is faithful and true. Christ went through with the the cause of Jesus Christ on the cross, God's plan. He said, I must be about my Father's business. And He stayed true to that calling. I'm, I'm thankful that the Spirit convicts us but that because Jesus Christ is true and He's given us the gospel and He's done all of that for us, the Holy Spirit will say, you are His and you are living out Christ in you, the hope of glory, and therefore you must be dependable and true as well. I was thinking of this in looking through Acts. If you'll look over in Acts chapter 7, actually Acts chapter 6, Stephen We read of him that he is filled with the Spirit. And the reason he's called as a deacon to serve in his local church is because he is Spirit-filled. And in the midst of doing his calling of serving and waiting on tables and helping, and the Word of God continuing to increase, and and he's speaking of these things, somebody said, we don't like what Stephen is doing in, in the community talking about Jesus, and so they, they seized him, and they tried to silence him, and they, and they said, you can't be speaking of this. This man never ceases to speak the words against this, this holy place and the law. Well, why? Because he was speaking of Christ. So you read of his speech in, in Acts chapter 7, where he goes through all the history of Israel, and, and very powerfully speaks about God's plan for the children of Israel all the way through. And then he speaks to these that are standing before him, these religious leaders, and say, you're the ones that are guilty. You're the ones that crucified this Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah that we've been looking for all this time. And what did they do? They receive him with open arms because he's such a loving person to tell them the truth? No. They picked up stones and they stoned him. And at that very moment, we read in Acts chapter 7, verse 55, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus, he that is faithful and true, standing at the right hand of the throne of God. The Holy Spirit life will be faithful even in the difficult times when you're fearful about the consequences. And you'll realize that there's a cause that's greater than your own plan. And you're true to the cause of Jesus Christ. So here are the takeaways. Here's what you want to do with what we've addressed here with the Holy Spirit's work of the fruit of the Spirit. Number one, let's go back to John 15, 16, and 17 and realize that abiding in Christ, making much of Christ, listening to what Christ is saying to you through the Word of God, 
And the way you do that is the Holy Spirit is God. Jesus said, I'm going to give you the helper, the Holy Spirit here in John chapter 15, verse 26. And he will be the spirit of truth and he will testify of Christ. So you're making much of Jesus Christ. You're abiding in him and his word abiding in you. And you keep on coming back to this thought process that then moves to your heart, that moves your soul and your choices and your decisions. You want to abide in Christ. And then as you're doing that, you're looking for the way the Holy Spirit is prompting you about opportunities for kindness without expecting anything that is genuine about being faithful even when it's not easy. And when the Holy Spirit is prompting you and you yield to the Holy Spirit and you're saying, yes, Lord, would you help me about this? This is not me. I can't do this. But God, would you work in this? And you yield and you obey and you follow through and you realize this, that God is doing something in you that is not natural to you. That is the fruit of the Spirit. And in that you can say, I'm thankful. And it humbles you. Lord, would you take your word, move within our hearts with your truth to equip us with what we are not within ourselves. And that is this, that is this beautiful, desirable, delicious fruit of the Spirit. Would you fill our church that way? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.